Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I am one of your co-hosts, Rob Clark, and with us, as always, Ed Katz on the other line. Ed, how you doing? Good afternoon, Rob Clark. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm enjoying the spring weather down in Texas that we're getting. Things are starting to bloom. Colors are starting to show. I'm kind of feeling good. Want to be outside and enjoy this nice weather we're getting before it turns into 117 out here. I agree. Our azaleas are about to explode with blooms. We can't wait. We have a driveway driveway full, and we just are looking forward to them turning red and pink and whatever other color. Yeah, we're kind of hit or miss because we love the weather to sit outside, but my wife's allergies will get so bad that the pollen and everything kind of makes it where she... So we're just trying to take advantage as much as we can, but it's kind of hit or miss. Ditto here. We have... Like, yeah, it looks like snow, but it's green pollen all exactly. over. <laughs> <laughs> all right, our podcast today, Ed, we've titled this one Business 101. And, you know, people's minds could be going a lot of different directions when they hear Business 101. So, Ed, would you say this is a continuing discussion on some of our previous podcasts, you know, maybe touching on training and things like that? It is, it is, it is. We're calling this one How to Supervise a Moving Crew, which I have found in my travels. If you are alive, breathing, have a CDL license or commercial truck driver's license uh, in the moving industry, that means you are a supervisor. You can be a supervisor just by virtue of being a driver. So we're going to drill down and hopefully destroy that definition of a supervisor. All right. So, Ed, give our listeners what you consider, um, what, I mean, let, let's just say the fundamentals of what a good supervisor needs to be. Well, I'd like to define a description of what he's supposed to do in maybe one sentence, and then we can maybe expand upon that. In my opinion, a supervisor is personally responsible for the performance and the behavior of his crew, the people that he supervises. How does that sound? I think it's absolutely perfect, but I would also say when when you say personally responsible, I'm going to say you probably are meaning that the policies, procedures, and standards of the company that he knows he needs to make sure the crew adheres to those procedure standards and responsibilities. Well, you're right. Let me give you a, a, a short example here. So I, on an irregular but consistent basis, would show up on moves. They never knew when Mr. Katz would show up. And I didn't like it because that's when I saw all the imperfections of the real world. But anyhow, I showed up at a job one day and I look at one of our moving vans and we had a procedure, a policy, a law that you never, ever parked a truck, whether it was on the level or on an incline without using a wheel chalk that was just set in stone at our company. So I go to this job and if you can envision or visualize this, the truck is facing with the nose, the front of the truck on an incline. So the lower part of the incline is where the front of the truck is. The box is at the higher level. You got that in your mind? And the wheel chalk is under the wheel, all right, under the rear, the rear wheel, but it's behind the rear tire, not in front of it. So if the truck <laughs> starts rolling, 
it will leave the wheel chalk behind because it won't be stopped by the wheel chalk. So what do I do? I go into the building, I take the elevator upstairs, I find Jimmy, the supervisor, and I follow our procedures. And I say, Jimmy, when you have a moment, I need to ask you, ask you a question. So I walk away and Jimmy follows me and he follows me downstairs and we stand, both of us, with our backs to the double glass doors leading into the building and we stare at the truck. And he says to me, I'll go move it, Mr. Katz. I said, whoa, stop right there. What is your job title, Jimmy? He says, supervisor. I said, in your own words, please tell me what your responsibility is as a supervisor. And he says, well, I told Pedro to put it under the wheel, under the tire and blah, blah, blah. And I said, please tell me what you are charged with what responsibility as a supervisor at our moving company. He said, I'm responsible for their behavior. I said, you're close. You're personally responsible for their performance and behavior. I know you're going to go move it and put it in the right place, but that's not the point. You are responsible to make sure that they do the right thing. You have to keep going behind all of them all the time so that you make sure that they follow our procedures. So again, they got it. They understood that. And you know, it that's that's why you have a supervisor, but they they got it. So my my question becomes, Ed, you know, a lot of people are thinking about a supervisor on a job. They're running the job. Can you talk to me a little bit about I think some moving companies uh, have a supervisor as part of the crew, you know, actually in that bucket brigade or as loading a truck or as a driver where it's my opinion that the supervisor shouldn't be that. He needs to do exactly what you said. He needs to be able to continually check and manage to make sure everybody that's part of the crew is doing their job responsibility the right way. I think you can structure it three ways. We structured it. The third way, which I'll tell you in a second, you can have what I would call in the old days, a straw boss. That's like a project manager who doesn't touch furniture, but is constantly measuring and managing and supervising the crew. So he may go from upstairs to downstairs, from inside the space to outside the space to the truck, making sure everything is moving along, but he's not touching furniture. So that's one extreme. The other extreme would be kind of a hybrid where, well, most of the time he is not touching furniture and um, he's doing project management, supervising, but every once in a while he'll move something along. And then the third model is what we used at my moving company. And that was what we called a working supervisor. He actually was part of the crew when things were humming which it was most of the time, he would help push the furniture from the inside of the office space out to the truck or at the destination from the truck into the building. But he constantly moved from inside to outside, outside to inside, measuring so he can supervise and manage. We called them working supervisors. They did not stand around with a clipboard and just talk to the customer. So that's, that was a model we followed. If you, if you don't mind, I'd like to di digress just for a moment and, and, and tell you what we taught our supervisors uh, at my moving company as to how to supervise. Would, would you be interested in, in hearing that? I absolutely am. Uh, but can I ask you one quick question that kind of came to mind as we talked about this? 
if we have an origin location and a destination location. At each location, did you have a supervisor? And we're dealing with an elevator, so we have upstairs, we have downstairs. Do you have an, a supervisor upstairs and downstairs? Or, no, we didn't. We okay. had, if it were a load and go, load and deliver, the crew stays together. They load, <clears throat> excuse me, they, <clears throat> they load the truck or trucks. And when they're loaded, they all stay together and drive to the destination and all work together and unload it. In that case, we have one working supervisor as part of the crew. Agreed. If, if we have a van rotation, a shuttle, or a round robin, where we're simultaneously loading and unloading, we would have two supervisors on that job, one at the origin and one at the destination, but you can only have one boss. So we would designate which of the two supervisors was running the job. And that supervisor invariably would be at the origin. And the other supervisor, if he were placed at the destination running that crew, would have to follow the instructions and orders of the supervisor at the origin. And the supervisor at the origin might call him and say, hey, I need you to send a couple of your guys over to me at the origin. We're having trouble pulling some of the furniture out, or I'm going to send you some of my crew because you're not uh, emptying the trucks and recycling them fast enough. But the one at the origin really controls the speed of the move, the placement of, you know, who's working where at the origin, but also he will determine how many employees are at each location. Okay. I love that so far, but it makes me ask another question. So when he's at the origin location, he's the, we'll call him, you know, the primary supervisor. Right. At the destination, we have the other supervisor. Once we get to a point where we've got, you know, the last bobtail, what was your process for, you know, completing the paperwork, getting everything you signed off on? Was that still the primary? I'm assuming it's the primary's responsibility to do that, the primary supervisor. Yes. Yeah, so let's say it's, let's just say we have an a truckload move. And now it's four o'clock in the afternoon and we had a van rotation shuttle where we're simultaneously loading and unloading. So it's four o'clock in the afternoon and the supervisor at the origin is kind of like mopping up, meaning picking up the last little bit of furniture. He's gone from office to office with a customer contact to make sure nothing is left behind in a closet in an office behind a door. So now everything's being pulled out of the origin and let's pretend we had 10 minutes the origin and 10 minutes the destination. Just pretend. We don't need 20 men on this job at the destination. What, if, what will 20 men do but get in each other's way, law diminishing returns, they'll be standing around with their hands in their pocket. So in this particular case, the supervisor will say to a driver who's at the old location, the origin with him, okay, look, you and these two or three helpers, entry-level employees. You pick up the surplus equipment, load it neatly onto your truck, take your three helpers and your truck back to our base, stay on the clock, unload the equipment into the warehouse, clock out, remove them from the job, the three helpers when you're done unloading that truck. They're off the job now, their time stops. Take your empty truck, Go to the destination because we may need you and your truck to pick up the equipment that we have from undoing and placing and setting the furniture at the destination. So he does that. In the meantime, 
The supervisor will take the more experienced employees with him from the origin because he doesn't really know what it looks like at the destination. So let's say he takes with him six more experienced employees from the origin to the destination. And when he gets there, he says to himself, well, I'm really lucky and glad I didn't just clock everybody out at the origin and send them back to the base because he goes upstairs and he sees there's a file room with about 30 file cabinets still sitting on dollies that need to be placed into a room in order under the close supervision of the customer and set up the way the customer wants them to be set up. So he'll take two or three men out of the six that he took over with him to work with the customer contact to set that room up. In the meantime, we still have the other 10 men who were at the destination originally still bucket brigading, human conveyor belt, unloading the last truck or trucks that are pulling up to that building. In the meantime, the supervisor still has another two or three men with him and he takes another customer contact and takes those two or three men. He says, okay, look, you and this customer contact start going from office to office where we've already placed the contents and furniture and you fine tune, maybe rearrange each and every office as you go down each hall to make sure it's exactly the way the customer wants it. So each and every person there is working. And again, that senior supervisor, or I call him senior supervisor, the one who's over the whole job, he's the one calling the shots. Perfect. I, I really, and that's the way we do it, but I think that's perfect explanation for the listeners to kind of understand how that process works. But I got to bet, Ed, you just kind of told us the process. Do you have an example of a real life experience where you could talk to us about how you did this, uh, you know, managing the supervisor, making sure they did things right when they didn't, how did you handle that situation with the supervisor or something like that? I'll be glad to. Let me, first of all, tell our listeners what our rules of engagement were, our fundamental rules of engagement with communication between a supervisor and a mover. Okay. So number one, we taught our supervisors, never yell or raise your voice at one of your crew members. Now, there are exceptions to everything in life. If, if a truck is about to back up over one of your employees, you know, you're running the job. What are you going to do? Scream bloody murder. Get out of the way. Watch out. But other than that, never raise your voice. Never curse. Never scream at an employee. Talk softly so they hear what you're saying, not how you're saying it. We also taught them this, which was the hardest thing to teach them. Look, I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. And there are times you'd like to sometimes, you know, scream and yell at your kids, right? No, you might just, no. no, no, I know. And <laughs> I know they're all perfect, but there are times you feel good raising your voice and screaming, especially in front of an audience, right? We taught our supervisors never, ever reprimand an employee in front of other employees, because again, they're going to react not necessarily to what you're saying, but they're going to react like, hey, you're disrespecting me in front of my peer, you know, in front of my peer group, in front of my fellow employees. So we taught them to call that employee aside. And this is really the procedure and the process that we, we taught them. We said, look, we taught all the movers. If a supervisor says to you, I need to ask you a question and walks away, you must follow that supervisor. 
no matter what you're doing, if a supervisor, you, a supervisor comes up to you and says, I need to ask you a question, and he walks away, you follow that supervisor. Set in stone, set in concrete, that was a, a rule, a procedure, a policy at our company. So if a supervisor, let's say an employee knows you're not supposed to drink a Coke while you're moving furniture, right? So we have, you know, an employee who is thirsty and he put a dollar in the machine or a dollar and a half and he buys a can of Coke and he's drinking the Coke and pushing the furniture and he's in line with, you know, like the bucket brigade. So the supervisor walks up to him and says, excuse me, I need to ask you a question. He walks away. Nobody is within earshot of what's coming next. So the supervisor asks the employee, what is our policy concerning eating or drinking while working? So the employee says, well, I know, but I'm going to faint unless I have a Coke. You know, I could be a mover helper, couldn't I? I can always give you the perfect reason why I'm breaking a policy. But anyhow, the sun is shining today. I'm drinking a Coke, whatever. So the supervisor then says, you need to put it down. And then we always said, let the employee know the consequences of a bad choice that he's about to make if he decides to make it. You need to put the Coke down and, or you're going to be, I'll be forced to clock you out, meaning you're off that job. You're not fired, but you can either sit in the truck till the job is over, or you can call somebody to come pick you up, but we're not sending a chauffeur from our base, from our warehouse out to pick you up and take you home or anything like that. You're going to have to get home your own way, or you're going to have to sit in the truck quietly, but you're off the clock. You're no longer working on this job because you chose to drink your Coke instead of following our policy. So they got it. Why would you put money in the machine, drink a Coke or eat a bag, eat a bag of potato chips if you knew it was a violation of our policy and you knew that when you got caught that you're going to either have to you know, lose a dollar and a half or the dollar, whatever you spent to get the potato chips or Coke and follow our policy or procedure. Believe it or not, when you are consistent and supervisors follow this drill all the time, employees listened and rarely tested them because they knew what was coming next. What do you think of that? I think that's perfect. And, and, and I, I agree. I would say that if the employee did that, it was because he thought he could get away with it with the particular supervisor that might be on that job, whether right. they were buddies or friends or whatever the case might be. Now, I'd like to answer your question that you asked me about five minutes ago. I'm long-winded today. I'm sorry, but I have so many more stories to share. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to tell you what really happened on a job at Emory University many years ago. I'm going to ask you, if you were the supervisor, what would Rob Clark had done in this situation? And we taught this. This actually happened. Now, I just want to let everybody know that no matter the answer I give, you can't hold it against me because I'm a sales guy. That's right. You're, you're, sure, yeah. you're supposed to stay out of operations right. anyhow, but so. we're going to put you in an <laughs> operations supervisor's hat just because you're the only one here to engage with the conversation. Okay? You got it. So here we are. We have four men in one truck. They pull up to a building at Emory University in downtown Atlanta. And it's a typical college campus with, you know, buildings everywhere and lawns and all that. So the supervisor says to the three helpers, Start unloading the equipment. Push it from the truck to the freight entrance door, loading area, 
way over there, you know, 200 feet away. I'm going upstairs and get the paperwork signed. I'll be right back. I'm like a residential move. You never, ever take the crew into the office with you and parade around the floor to look at the job. It just, it's totally unnecessary. So he did what he was supposed to do. He told the three helpers, unload the truck, get the equipment staged at the building, and I'll be right back. I'm going to get the bill of lading signed. He comes back 10 minutes later, and he sees not three helpers unloading the truck, but only one helper unloading the truck. And he's operating the lift gate with a stack of 24-wheel dollies on the lift gate, and he's using his foot to push that little lever that you're supposed to operate with your hand. He's using his foot to operate that to get the dollies from the truck bed down to the pavement. Do you want to guess what the supervisor did next? Do you want to take a guess at that, or do you want to stay in sales and let me answer for you? Do I want to guess what he did or what I think he should have done? No. What did the supervisor do next? I'm going to let you tell me. I'm going to stay in sales. Okay. Well, our number one goal at Peachtree Movers and IOMI Certified Office Movers is nobody gets hurt. He ran up to that helper and he said, stop, stop. Don't go any further. So he was like halfway between the bed of the truck and halfway to the payment. And the helper stopped pushing that lever. And then the supervisor said, here, hold on. And the supervisor operated the lever and got the load down to the, to the street level. Because that's our number one goal. Stop. Don't take a chance. You might get your foot wedged between the lift gate and the truck. And that would be very painful and be very serious. So the question that the supervisor poses to the helper is, where are the other two guys? Now, if you were that helper and you had to get along with the crew and go out with different crew members all the time, do you think that helper wanted to tell that supervisor where the other two guys were? No, he gave the same answer as our our children do. I I don't know. That's right. I don't know. So then at our moving company, and I teach and preach this at IOMI, when you know that somebody knows the answer, but they don't want to tell you for the the reasons I just gave you, there's another way of asking the same question a different way where most of the time you're going to get the answer. You ask it in the hypothetical. What do I mean by that? Instead of asking, where are they? And and the helper is going to say, I don't know. The supervisor then asks the same question in the hypothetical. He says, well, if you did know, that's the hypothetical. If you did know, where do you think they might be? So the helper points to the building. He says, I think they were hungry. They had to go in and get a snack, get something to eat because they were upset and and hungry and had hunger pangs or some BS like that, right? So this supervisor says to the helper, don't do anything else. Well, the equipment that's down on the pavement, you can push it towards the building, but do not operate that lift gate by yourself until I get the helpers. So the supervisor goes into this building at Embry University, and in that building is a giant cafeteria. And he sees one of the two helpers in line, three from the cash register, in the you know line for the cafeteria for the food, with a tray full of food, three from, you know, three people in front of him, And he's getting ready to pay the cashier after the other two or three in front of him pay for their food. And that helper, that mover, looks up and sees the supervisor as the supervisor walks into the cafeteria. I hear all this later from the supervisor. The other employee has already sat 
down. He's already sat down. He's already at a table by himself, and he's eating. Let me describe. This is Atlanta, Georgia, okay? The South. He's got on his plate three eggs. Not city ham, but country ham. Biscuits. <laughs> biscuits. Red-eyed gravy. If you've never had red-eyed red eye gravy, you can't. It makes my mouth water just to think about it. And a cup of coffee. So he's eating his breakfast. He looks up. He sees the supervisor. The supervisor has a choice. He can go to the guy in line and say something to him, or he can go up to the guy who's sitting, who's already eating his breakfast. If you, Rob Clark, were that supervisor, what would you do, have done in that situation? I'm just curious. I know you're in sales, but if you have, you know, they broke, they didn't listen to you. They're cheating and stealing from the customer because they're on the clock and yet they're eating breakfast or going to eat breakfast. That's wrong. How would you handle that? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is go up and, and follow a procedure that you have in place, which is to politely, with a calm demeanor and a monotone voice, ask them to come and speak with me. Because again, we're in a public place in a building that is our client's home. We don't want to make a scene there in the in the cafeteria. Can so, I interrupt you one second? Sure. They're several feet apart. One guy's in line near the cash register, okay? And the other guy's in like the middle of the room at a right. table by himself. So you can't go up to both of them. No, no, no. I'm going to go to the guy at the register first because he hasn't paid. So he's lucky. He's going to get the opportunity to hear the speech first and be able to be told quickly in a, in a nice voice, you need to not pay for that. We've got a job to do. You need to come out and meet me at the truck right now. And he'll, I'm going to say that's not fair from that helper because that other guy is already eating his food. How come you're letting him eat his I'm, food? And I, you know, that's not fair. So let me tell you what happened. Cause it's, okay. it's a good answer you gave, but. Cause I'm going to go visit with Bobby next. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But anyhow, the guy that ran the job, which is wonderful. His name, he's, he unfortunately died a few years ago, but his name uh, was Jimmy Logan. And he was a man's man. He was one of the best supervisors we ever had. So Jimmy, Believe it or not, he never had to talk to the guy at the register. Never had to. You know why? He went up to the guy who was already eating. Now, meantime, the guy who was three from the register, he's eyeing this out of the corner of his eye, seeing what Jimmy's doing. And guess what? If Jimmy lets the guy continue eating his food, that guy is going to stay in line right? Pay for it and then have the right to sit down and eat his food. So guess what the guy in line is doing? He's letting people pass him now. He doesn't want to pay for the food and then find out that he can't eat it. So he's going to see how this plays out. I thought that was brilliant. That is brilliant. Yeah, Jimmy goes up to the guy who's sitting there opposite him. He sits down and Jimmy asks, he says, what did I tell you to do? And the guy doesn't answer the question. Come on. The guy says, hey, man, I didn't have time for breakfast this morning. My stomach is all torn up. I feel like I have to throw up. I got to eat this. That's his answer. Jimmy doesn't go into this big explanation as to what our policy is. Or Heck no. Jimmy said, you need to put it down, go back to work, or I'll be forced to clock you off this job. Now, this helper, this mover, is really angry now, isn't he? Oh, sure. He is. Yeah, he's angry. But Jimmy looked at him in the eyes, and the guy looked back, and he shoves the tray about an inch in front of him, and he stands up, and he makes some snide remark under his breath, and he goes back to the truck to help the other mover. And the rest of the day, would you believe that 
that men can pout? Can you believe that men are moody? Can you believe for the rest of the day that helper didn't talk to Jimmy the rest of the day? He did his job, but he was not happy with Jimmy Logan. In the meantime, the guy who was three from the register, do you think he paid for his food and then sat down and tried to eat it? Or do you think maybe he put the food back where he got it from and quietly walked out of the cafeteria and joined the other two and worked the rest of the day? It's that the, sounds It's the latter. That's exactly what he did. Oh, yeah, of course. It was, it's got like a rhetorical question, but yeah. that's that was following our procedures. And if they know in the first place the consequences of the bad choices they're about to make, why did those two guys test it anyhow? I don't know why. That, that rarely happened, though. But you got to give Jimmy a lot of credit for not trying to be a friend or not trying to be liked. He knew there was a job to do, and it was his responsibility to make sure it got done right, and that's all that mattered to Jimmy. Yeah. Well, I have one more example. If we have time, do we? It's it's, it's kind of involved, but it's... It's, Go it's ahead. Covers a lot of principles. So we found when we were slow, uh, everybody behaved. When we were at our limits, when we were overbooked, when we didn't have enough skilled or experienced employees to really fill the need the way we wanted, that's when we'd be tested. So we were doing a job where we had 10 jobs out on a Saturday. Everybody's working. And we have eight men and two trucks on one job that's supposed to go for eight hours in a two-story building with an elevator. So the supervisor, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is charged with the responsibility of making sure nobody gets hurt and that we don't damage what we're moving and we don't damage the buildings we're moving from and to when we finish the job on time for the price quoted. And so he assigns the employees to different positions on the crew based on their skill and their experience so that nobody gets hurt. So he puts one of his, uh, his best friends actually on the lift gate and ramp. We would sometimes use a ramp or a lift gate. I don't remember what we used that day, but regardless, he puts them down on one of the most dangerous, dangerous positions, you know, the ramp, let's say. And he tells him to work outside. In the meantime, he takes a guy who's only been with us about a week and he has him, he's, this guy has experience, but not a lot of experience. He has him upstairs working with another mover, let's just pretend dolling up furniture. I don't remember where he was, but he was supposed to be upstairs inside the space, either dolling up furniture or something like that. So about 15 minutes into the job, the supervisor happens to look out the window down to the, where the truck is, and to his shock, the guy who has less experience, lower skill, is not upstairs doing what he told him to do, but he's down working on the ramp. So the supervisor runs downstairs and he asks the guy, first of all, he said, what are you doing? Stop, stop working here. This is not where I told you to work. Where did I tell you to work? He said, well, uh, so-and-so told me to switch places with him. And he's upstairs working where I was working and he made me go outside here and work on the ramp. So Jimmy not Jimmy, whoever the supervisor is, he shuts the job down. He stops the move, believe it or not. Number one goal, nobody gets hurt. Is it going to take longer? Yeah, it's going to take longer. We're now not working. But it's not going to cost the customer any extra for us having these little hiccups. So the supervisor goes upstairs. He sees the guy who we told to work downstairs, his best friend. He's dolling up furniture. He's, this guy's really working hard. He's breaking his sweat. He's doing a great job. So 
The supervisor goes up to him and he says, I need to ask you a question. He walks away. So his best friend follows him away from the earshot of everybody else on the crew. And he says, where did I tell you to work? And the guy goes, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I have. I think I have pneumonia and it's pouring down rain outside and it's cold. And I, and I really shouldn't have come to work today, but I did because I knew I was going out on your job and I would never let you, you know, have to go out without good experience like me. So <laughs> I can't work outside. I have this terrible cough. So I switched places with this other guy. So the supervisor said, you need to go back outside and work where I told you, or I'll be forced to clock you out. So the guy, the best friend, hey, I'm your best friend. What do you, it's me, you know? And also he said, the guy I switched with, he used to work for United Van Lines. He's got a lot of experience and he loves to work outside in the rain. So the supervisor said, look, I, I'm sorry. I, you, you know, hit the clock, you're off the job then. So you know what the best friend says? Okay, for you, I'm no longer your best friend. And he, he says, I'm not going to work at all then. So he goes and sits inside the cab of the truck. Now, here's where it really gets what I call dark and dirty. I mean, what else can I tell you? For the supervisor to proceed with that guy now off the job, in the opinion, in, in, in the, in the opinion of the supervisor, if he keeps doing the job without that guy on the job, someone's going to get hurt. So he shuts the whole job down. He tells the customer, the shipper, we're sorry, but we have to figure something out here. One of our employees is sick and we can't continue. We're not gonna keep the clock running for you. Don't worry, we're gonna finish this job, but I have to call the office. So he calls the office and he says to the dispatcher, we always had somebody on call at our company when a job was out. So whether they call somebody at work or we call somebody in management. And he calls and he says, I need to replace so-and-so with somebody with his comparable, comparable skill and experience, or I can't do this job. So the person who handles dispatch or who's on call that weekend has all the employees on that he's dispatched that day on the schedule. He sees who's working where. We learned a long time ago, if all the jobs are running ahead of schedule and all the supervisors on all the other jobs had an extra men that they really didn't need. And had that dispatcher called each and every one of those supervisors and asked, hey, can you spare a guy? What do you think they would have said? No. no. <laughs> or if the dispatcher called and said, can you give us one of your guys? And they said, yes. Guess what? They would have given up the weakest link, not the best experienced guy. That's just life. Sure. So the, what, the, what, the super, what the dispatcher did was, he looked who he wanted. That he, you know, he was going to have to go pick up one guy and drop him off. He decided what crew he was going to call, what supervisor, who he was going to pick up. And he called that supervisor and he said, hey, I'll be there in 20 minutes. I need to pick up so-and-so. We have an emergency on the job. That supervisor is not happy he's going to lose that crew member, but that's just the way it was. And he drove out, picked up that one employee, dropped him off. The job finished. The customer was happy. The guys got paid the whole time. It wasn't their fault that there was a hiccup. But do you see how this works? And the supervisor did the right thing. So, Rob, I have a question for you. I'd like you to at least react to this. In my opinion, this is why we should never, ever let salespeople 
go out and run a job. They don't have, I mean, I teach operations. I teach supervising. I teach management. I can, if you listen to me, look, Rob, I'll hold your jacket. If you do exactly what I tell you to do, you can go over there and beat that guy up. And if you follow my directions, you'll be successful. You'll beat him up. But if I and cats have to go over there and beat him up, I'm running out the back door. You'll never see me again. In other words, I'm great at teaching and training, but I don't have that backbone and that spine. I want to, I'm in sales. I want to be liked by everybody. This is why I encourage IOMI trained and certified movers not to have salespeople who want to be liked usually and want to get along with everybody and who are therefore usually weak in supervising. Uh, that's why I don't believe they should run jobs. How do you feel about that? I totally agree. And I think for the reasons you just said, uh, you know, salespeople are going to try to make that customer happy. And if crews aren't moving, they assume the customer is going to be disgruntled a little. So they're going to try to figure out a way just to keep they, – they're not going to argue with the situation and trying to get another guy out there, but they're not going to want you to shut it down until that other guy arrives. Guarantee you, 90% of the salespeople would not want that to happen, would fight to not have that happen. So I agree with you, not having salespeople out there, making sure supervisors who are trained to make those decisions – for your number one rule, making sure nobody gets hurt first and foremost uh, is very, very important. Thank you. I, I'm so glad you agree with me. When don't I? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here we go, Ed. Is that basically how you trained all of your supervisors and, you know, making sure how they acted on a job, how they interacted with the client, with uh, fellow staff members? And this is kind of the, the, the general rule at Peachtree Movers. The- no. And I'll tell you why. It's one thing if I tell you this is how I want you to act in a situation. It doesn't really resonate. And maybe this is a topic for another podcast. But what we did, we tried to monthly hold uh, meetings with just our supervisors and me. And we would role play. I would be the customer, for example, or I would be the mover helper. And I would not say to the supervisor who was batter up, who would be, you know, interacting with me in front of the group. I would say, don't tell me what you would say. You be you, you be the supervisor. I'll be the mover helper. And I'll maybe be the one that just had this dialogue we just talked about and get them to interact and actually say the things that are supposed to say, whether it's interacting with a customer and interacting with another employee, another supervisor that's, you know, under the supervisor or another mover helper. And by doing the role playing, it's very, very challenging for the people doing it because they're half looking at their audience, which in this case would be the other supervisors and then trying to interact with if, if I'm role playing with them with me and it's embarrassing and awkward, but I made it fun. I would tease them. And um, they got it. And after a while, they forgot that they were role-playing and acted the way they really would have acted in a real-life situation on the job. So once they mastered that, and we did that monthly, once they mastered that, when they were out in the field and doing it on a one-on-one basis with a mover-helper or with a customer, it was so much easier than having the audience in our classroom environment. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I think that's a 
a great way to train supervisors. And I agree with you that I think the biggest hurdle for them to get over was me just thinking about me doing things like that coming up would be that audience watching you. You know, you're, you, it's one thing just you and a client kind of having a conversation, but it's totally different when you got, you know, five, six, seven other guys sitting around watching how you're going to respond to Mr. Katz. I know. I agree. Yeah. Well, now you know everything I know about supervising. You don't need me anymore. Well, I, I think it's a, a great episode. I think, you know, the importance of making sure that you have those policies and procedures in place, but that supervisors are trained to know ex- they don't they don't veer off. There is no gray area. It's very black and white in these kinds of situations because of the, the things we've talked about, mostly safety. Um and then that trickles down to the crew. They knew that the supervisors. So I'm going to guess, Ed, you didn't have a lot of instances where lowered um, crew members were questioning or challenging the authority of a supervisor. I'm guessing that didn't happen very often. Well, it, it happened initially when they were new employees. But okay. we, reinforced, we reinforced weekly with all of our mover helpers. You need to follow our policies or the supervisor is going to clock you off the job and you have two choices you can sit in the truck quietly off the clock or you can call your own ride to come and pick you up or i guess maybe take public transportation but don't call the office because mr katz is not going to go out to the job and pick you up i think that's the the right way to do it they made that decision they got to live with the uh the consequences well, great episode. Thank you. I think that was uh, very good, very informative, and I think people will, well, what they should do is contact you for that, that thing you keep talking about. What, what is it? IOMI? IOMI International Office Moving Institute, our online training that everyone can afford now that it's online. And, so, and remember, everybody, I'm on a fixed income. I need, please send your nickels and dimes and quarters <laughs> to Reverend Ed here. He, he needs your support. Please enroll in our online training. Definitely worth it. And uh, uh, <laughs> the things that we talked about today will definitely be expanded as far as how to train supervisors and kind of the, some of the ways we talked about today. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for listening. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. And until our next episode, go sell another move. <laughs>